coming up on today's show, I get to play box office higher or lower for the first time. Very exciting. We review Skyscraper, the new movie featuring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and we find out how it ends with our streaming gem. Or do we? Or would we? Or wouldn't we? It's very confusing. In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions. Talk Filmy to Me. Hello, welcome to the Talk Filmy to Me podcast, a film podcast about news, general entertainment, general pop culture. It's the podcast that said it would do a good job. I said would, not wouldn't. Let's not get political now. <laughs> Joining me on the pod today, it's my main man, it's my OG, it's the guy you may have heard of on video games like Guitar Hero, DJ Hero, Guitar Hero 2. He's also got an album which is called Lucky Dust. It's on iTunes and Spotify where all good music streaming services are. John Descamento, how are you doing, buddy? I'm amazing. Um, I also want to add one more product to the list of stuff that I can flog. Uh, my wife has a, mo- uh, a hand cream business, multi-purpose cream called Moonbeam Cream, and it's just gone out on online, and it's amazing. And so look at it on Etsy, Moonbeam Cream. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, awesome. You know, um, going back to the start where we were talking a bit about, about old Trumpy doing the rounds around the world at the moment, um, there was a bit of a bit of a um, protest in London and, and around the country <laughs> when he, he done his, his, his flyby. Um, I love some of the signs. Have you seen some of these signs that the protesters were holding out? Oh, they're like, amazing. Like, it makes you so proud to be British, where it's stuff like signs that say, White House wanker, and uh, not even your wife likes you, and uh, I'm from Essex, but you've got a dodgy tan, babe. Um, but my, my favourite one is just a massive sign that says, Blink twice for help, Melena. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Yeah, 250,000 people marched. And then the Daily Mail said they're a rent-a-lefty mob. What? How do you rent 250,000 people? That's craziness well it's the same it's the same company that the daily mail rents to try and make people think they're still relevant Ooh. anyway Ooh. shall we crack on speaking of news shall we crack on with movie news news yeah we've alienated half our audience so yeah we should probably <laughs> crack on cool so whacking phoenix the crazy sob um he takes it's, it's fair to say that he only takes roles that he is interested in he only takes roles which he thinks he can do justice to and add his own flair to um we all raised eyebrows when we heard that he was cast as the joker in a standalone movie directed by todd phillips we all said it weren't going to happen we all said it's kind of weird but guess what that film started production last week um, they're going to keep it really tight-lipped over what the look and appearance is going for but there's a bit of synopsis that's been released about a man at the end of his tether giving the story of a cautionary tale of how you can twist into chaos and insanity at a moment's notice. So, you know what? I'm I'm still like I don't I don't think we need a Joker movie. We've gone on record many a times on this podcast, but I'm starting to get excited. Joaquin Phoenix, obviously an amazing actor, very talented. Todd Phillips, a very very good director, and also let's not forget the great Scorsese pens the paper to this. He was part of the writing process, so this is going to be interesting. I think. What's your feelings on this, John? Yeah, I'm going to forget every other Joker movie, Joker performance and try and treat it as a standalone because I love everything about this. You know, Scorsese involved, Joaquin Phoenix, one of my favourite actors. I think he's one of the actors that could really pay homage to the character. So, yeah, I'm going to try and go in with a real open mind and um, I'm looking forward to it. 
Cool. While we're still on the DC news, so there's going to be a Batwoman TV show. Why are you talking about this in a film podcast, Adam? Well, it's actually quite interesting because they're going to bring in a lot of uh, a lot of movie people are going to be involved in this in terms of people who have worked on the DC universe on screen. Uh, it's also going to be tied into the Belantiverse. So basically, those CW TV shows that have got Green Arrow, The Flash, all that sort of stuff. And um, the reason why this is co- this is cool news, a because it's showing more diversity in front of the character obviously of the protagonist being a woman but also this is a massive shout out to lgdp um characters and 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 gay superheroes so that's cool um, i'm really looking forward to this i think the writing behind this is going to be fantastic and i think they're really going to stick to the source material on this uh, john are you are you a tv man do you like the the superhero shows did you ever watch um lois and clark lois and clark the new adventures of superman Oh, I was all about that. We were, what, nine or ten when that first came out? So that we were like prime age, Saturday night TV, wasn't it? Ah, oh, Dean Kane, What a legend. What a legend. Terry Hatcher. Terry Hatcher was, you know, a lot of guys' first crushes back then, playing Lois Lane. I, I, do you remember she was a Bond girl, which sounds like such a... Such a throwaway thing to be now, isn't it? You know, it's it's quite derogatory yeah. to be fair. But um, she was uh, cast as a as a romantic interest for Bond in Tomorrow Never Dies, and I can't remember how old I was, but I remember first seeing her on screen, and I was so bashful because I fancied her so much growing up that I couldn't even look at the screen with her on it. But um, oh, poor little Flinty's in love. <laughs> so so yeah with that in terms of tv that's what's no it's, it's kind of been a dry week because we've got comic-con coming up next weekend but quentin tarantino's once upon a time in hollywood uh, this looks so so good obviously quentin tarantino's penultimate film if you believe that he's going to retire after 10 films uh, he's really going classic hollywood with this but he's going classic hollywood with the cast as well so brad pitt leonardo dicaprio burt reynolds damian lewis dakona fanning al pacino tim roof Michael Madsen Kurt the list goes on and on and on Margot Robbie there's so much star power in this film with one of the greatest writers and producers I've ever seen in my life at the time and we probably won't see someone like him again this is exciting and um, he has changed the release date of this film because this film was set in a classic Hollywood setting which had a loose link to the Manson murder uh cult whatever you want to call it they've changed the release date in 2019 because originally it was actually going to coincide with the manson murders anniversary so they've changed the release date for respectful reasons to do with that but other than that john how excited are you about this cast i can't wait i mean you've got to say it's probably the best cast for, for any tarantino film overall i've ever seen it's amazing uh it's hard to know how it could be anything other than a great film the only thing with Tarantino, do you think maybe nowadays we're in a different sort of era socially and politically? Do you think he might not be reading the room quite as he as he used to? And people, I mean, people's critiqued. Um, what was the film Django Unchanged? Uh, a little bit for that. Can you see that happening in this one? Potentially, and, and it's also fair to say that The Hateful Eight didn't necessarily do as well as his previous films. And I think if you took any Quentin Tarantino fan and asked him or her to list out their favourite Tarantino movies, it's probably fair to say that Hateful Eight probably wouldn't be at the top of that list. And is that because there's a social economical thing here about the writing? 
Maybe. Is it to say that the casts in that film hasn't been as strong as previous films? I think there's definitely an argument there as well. Um, but he has had some time out. He has had some uh, some real time to reflect and put pen to paper on this. So this is either going to be a masterpiece or it's going to be a massive flop. Um, I don't think there's going to be anything in between of that. If you look at the cast, like we said before, it's absolutely stellar. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio was incredible in Django Unchained. I personally love that film. Um, but then again, I'm not necessarily as close to the demographics that may have been offended by parts of that film. So I, I totally understand why there might be a bit of a bugbear to that. But that being said, you know, let's get pumped, let's get excited. The only thing to that is that current events have changed. Now, bear in mind, Quentin Tarantino was pretty much best pals with Harvey Weinstein. And there's been a lot that's changed in the world since last time he put pen to paper. So can he stay culturally relevant? Can he, or maybe culturally irrelevant? That's maybe why some of his dialogue was so good. I don't know. But um, can he do something that turns heads? Has he still got, got it in him? I don't know. But this sounds like a great opportunity. Yeah, I kind of think it might be refreshing because you you get the feeling he's a di- one of the few directors that will genuinely take uh, a risk, you know, and go for broke, especially at his point in his career where no one tells him what to do at all. So I, I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely. And even though it's not been announced, it's not in any of the casting calls or any of the listings, you know Samuel Jackson's going to be there. Like, let's just let's just call it out. He's been in every other film. He is going to be there. He is going to be incredible. He somehow gets older and older, and they make him more older and decrepit in each film. I bet you there's going to be some fan theory that it's actually... It's it's Julie it's Jules from Pulp Fiction. Uh, he's just gotten older and older in each one. It's all interconnected. It's a universe. Um, but anyway, that fan theory aside, let's talk about JJ um, Abrahams. Obviously, he's a very busy man. He's got the new Star Wars film coming out very soon. He's Love Child. He's he's a uh, I suppose you call it his franchise. The one that he put together is that Cloverfield universe. Obviously, it was one of his first cinematic endeavors um, after making TV shows like Lost and kind of was put on the shelf for a long time until uh, he started this weird concept of taking other films that were already in production applying his bad robot production company house uh, motif over it and tying it into a cloverfield expanded universe we got that of 10 cloverfield lane we had that of the cloverfield paradox and there's a new film coming out called overlord now there's lots of rumors suggesting that this is part of the cloverfield world uh, jj has come out and said no but he has also come out and said no in the past and he has done the old switcheroo on us already so he released a trailer for this film and um, it is currently up for debate as to whether this will become a Netflix original or not. Um, I think it probably will end up being a Netflix original, a la what happened with Cloverfield Paradox. It looks freaky as hell. It looks cool. It looks crazy, batshit. Haven't got a clue what's going on. But it's got soldiers and Nazis and 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 lots of mysterious things in between. John, are you excited? Are you pumped? Or is this just another flop for you? <laughs> That's that noise sort of sums up my excitement, I'm afraid. But you know, he does he does what he does very well. It's just not always my cup of tea. 
No, fair enough. Well, I'll tell you something that I think will be your cup of tea. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, um, the the film which has had, to be fair, quite a bit of a troubled production. I can never remember the actor's name, but the guy from Mr. Robot is playing uh, Mr. Freddy himself. They dropped the second trailer the other day. Now, it got a lot of criticism, the first trailer, because it appeared to be straight-washing the role of Freddie Mercury. In this trailer, they made sure to go out of their way to show, yes, they do talk about his private life and warts and all in terms of of, uh, of of how he portrayed himself and uh, and the honesty behind that and uh, the more I see of this the more excited I get the music you, 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 you sometimes forget that Freddie Mercury is part of Queen and Queen is an amazing band and actually all their songs are bangers and just hearing those melodies put together and mashed together in the background of this trailer just gets me so hyped for this one yeah, I can't wait for this one. You know, I love a musical biopic. Uh, and, you know, there's hints that it's going to be played safe with Sasha Baron Cohen leaving the project earlier for wanting to focus on more, you know, Freddie's personal life. So, but at the same time, if it is just a Queen biopic with their songs and their hits and their story on the surface, that's still going to please me quite a lot i think that's going to be great yeah definitely um the, the only thing like they show you a bit so the the story it covers is basically the inception of queen of freddie joining the band uh, be, being like basically nobodies to right up until that massive famous wembley gig and um this this is a real a real sort of roller coaster in terms of the his life in the press his life behind closed doors and and the sound from that but they show a scene from like his early days, I suppose, and I don't think he's got the accent quite right. Like he, it, it looks like someone impersonating Freddie Mercury rather than the interviews and what you see. But yeah, you know well, I've only just seen a trail, a couple of trailers of this. Do you want to hear something interesting though? So Brian Singer was first. Uh, well, there was a string of directors involved in this, but Brian Singer was the first director to start production on this version of the story, and um, he he basically walked out halfway through the the production process because. A, personal tragedies and things going on in the background, but also um, he just wasn't doing anything, apparently. like He was just basically turning up and letting people do their own thing, and it didn't really work out. So Dexter Fletcher, who um, worked with Aaron Edgar on uh, various films, but also most recently directed the Eddie the Eagle movie with Hugh Jackman. Uh, he came in and, and basically finished off the film, got the steady the ship, uh, hired some new cast members because a few people did walk out on the project and, and basically got it over the line. Now, he's not going to get director's credit for that. He's actually just going to be listed as a producer. Brian Singer, even though he basically done nothing on the film by a lot of accounts, he's still going to get the credit, which is weird. But um, anyway, just to wrap up news, uh, so... Uh, Jordan Van Roberts uh, he's an upcoming director he's already directed quite a few awesome things the last big thing he directed was Kong Skull Island and I follow this guy very closely why do I follow him very closely because he's a very interesting individual but also he's a massive nerd he loves his video games and he is directing the Metal Gear Solid video game adaptation this is with the blessing of Hideo Kojima i.e. the creator of Metal Gear and he started sharing some some artwork uh, on his social media accounts about this film uh, any of our veteran listeners will remember back in episode episode three. Oh god that felt like a while ago when we had AJ on and we talked about our favourite video game adaptations and we talked about how cool it would be for a Metal Gear movie then it's happening they're listening they're, they're, the, the masses are listening and they're making these films from these games so um, that is exciting go on Twitter and check that out 
Yeah, and that is famously one of your favourite games of all time, right? Ah, oh, it's, it's incredible. Just like it's one of those things where you know, like you read a book or you you see a play or you you hear a story and you hear they're going to make an adaptation of that for film, and you just think, just just copy it word for. If you just copied it word <laughs> for word, scene for scene, you've already got a damn good film. There's no need. It's one of them rare games that has as good a story as, as you know, a lot of good movie. Exactly. Like you, you, so, yeah, no pressure to Jordan, but, <laughs> like, but from what I understand, he is a massive fan from the stuff he shares and stuff he talks about. If he does twist the story, I'm hoping it's from a fan's perspective and really knows how to do this. I mean, this is the thing that really winds me up when you see these adaptations on screen. You just feel like, have they ever consulted fans on this? Mm. Like, really? Like, I know I, you hear about it, but do you actually sit there with fans of that video game or of that book and say, this is how I'm going to portray the story? This is what's going to happen in this film? And do you listen to them? Because I'm, I'm 99.9% sure that a lot of producers do not do that. Because if they did, why have we got so many terrible adaptations? Why are they all so mm. bad? Anyway, sorry, I'm going to go off on a rant completely there. Uh, basically, that's the news for this week. Box office higher or lower, it does exactly what it says on the tin. I've got a list of films and their opening box office weekends in the US, taken from boxofficemojo.com. I will tell John the name of a film and how much it made on its opening weekend. I'll then tell him the title of another film, and John has to guess higher or lower. So if I turn it around and said, John, The Dark Knight Roses on its opening weekend grossed $160 million. The Dark Knight, higher or lower? Um, Higher. You would be incorrect. The Dark Knight grossed $158 million on its opening weekend. The Dark Knight Rises beat that by $2 million. Oh, okay. Okay, I've got it. That didn't count, right? No, no, no. It's just just an example. So, you ready to go? (laughs) Yeah, let's go for realsies this time. Cool. AI, artificial intelligence. Steven Spielberg's classic film about a little boy who's a robot. Um, That grossed $29.3 million on its opening weekend. The Lone Ranger, the weird Disney movie based on the classic TV show that they spent a chuff load of money on, did that take higher or lower? I think Lone Ranger... Oh, that was famous flop, wasn't it? I think, But then that's quite low anyway. I'm going to go... I think it did lower. You are correct, but only just 29.2. So, Lone Ranger, 29.2 million. Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Higher or lower? Rogue One, oh, definitely... Rogue One's higher. You are correct. Rogue One grossed $155 million in its opening weekend. So from Star Wars, Rogue One, we're going to move to How to Train Your Dragon 2, higher or lower? <laughs> lower. I want to believe. <laughs> you are correct. That grossed $49 million in its opening weekend. So uh, How to Train Your Dragon 2 to Australia. You know that film about Australia that had every Australian actor in possible hmm higher or lower okay i'm gonna go lower you are correct australia grossed 14.8 million dollars on its opening weekend 
quite low from Point if you think about prizes. it. Really. Considering like how mm. many, like how much star power that film had. Anyway, so we go from Australia. We're going to ET, the 20th anniversary edition. So this was re-released in cinemas to mark its 20th anniversary. Higher or lower than Australia? That's a tough one because that's not like a new release, is it? But I, re- I reckon it did higher. It actually done lower. It only ranked oh. $14.2 million in its opening weekend, which is weird to think. That's such a classic film. And like I know if that was going on in cinemas in the UK, like right now, there's when E.T. in IMAX. I'd be like, fuck you, I'm going to go see that. It's a classic film. Mm. Anyway, from E.T., we're going to go to Minions, the spin-off movie from those Despicable Me films. Higher oh, definitely, definitely higher. You're right, it made it rain. It ranked $115 million on its opening weekend. So going from something from, for the kids to something for the parents. Fifty Shades of Grey, did it rank higher or lower than Minions? The first one, there's a lot of All hype, the hype wasn't there? Yeah, on the books. I'm going to go higher. It didn't. It ranked $85 million in its opening oh, weekend. I'm so, glad I was wrong. From one passion to another, the passion of the Christ, uh, did it rank higher or lower in its opening weekend? Oh, higher for sure. Christians love that shit. It ranked lower. Turns oh, out it, were, no. it weren't filthy enough. Uh, $83 million in its opening weekend. And number 10, to wrap it off, Avatar, did it rank higher or lower in its opening weekend? Oh, higher. Smashed it. It didn't. Avatar only made $77 million on its opening weekend. However, bear in mind, obviously it is the, one of the highest ranking films of all time because it had legs. It just stayed in cinemas forever. Wow. I was... Well, I, I had such a good start there. I thought I'd finally found the game for me and then I ruined it at the end there. How yeah, many did I get? Uh, you got Five six. Five or six? You got six, six out of ten. So there's a final round. I'm going to tell you three movies and you're going to have to tell me which film grossed the highest on its opening box office weekend. Now, there's things to consider of this. You need to think about when the film was released because there's more people on the planet, obviously, and there's there's more cinemas. There's The tickets are more expensive. Uh, marketing budgets are far more expensive than they've ever been before. And um, Jamie was absolutely, and I was dumbfounded to find out that Independence Day, like one of the most classic movies of, a, of you know, people of a certain age would say that's a, that's a, a modern classic. That only that only got fourteen million dollars on its opening weekend. Like that's insane. If that was released today, like that would be a that would be a, an easy seventy eighty million dollar movie, surely. And um, anyway, mm. so you've your three films are The Da Vinci Code, Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Or Beauty and the Beast, the remake that was done in 2017. Okay. And which one did the best weekend? Ooh, I I mean, my instinct was Return of the King, but that's a few years old now, isn't it? That's nearly 10 years old, it would be. So I'm going to go with Beauty and the Beast. You are correct, my boy. So yeah, Beauty and the Beast ranked $174 million in its opening weekend. That's insane. That is more than the Da Vinci Code and Lord of the Rings Return of the King put together. Wow. Wow, there you go. Inflation. (laughs) So there you have it. If you want to throw some ideas for films about box office rankings into this, get involved at TalkFilmy to me on Twitter. John, you can do higher or lower. 
streaming gems. How It Ends is an apocalyptic drama which is available on your Netflix account right now. It's got a star-studded cast with people like Theo James, Kat Graham, um, as well as... Forrest Whitaker. Sorry, I had to scroll down there to check some of my notes. It's directed by David Roserhold. He's not necessarily directed quite uh, as many films as some of the other big directors that are currently making Netflix originals. But the premise of this film is basically Theo plays a guy called Will who has to travel to the other side of the country to speak to his proposed father-in-law to ask for his blessing to marry his daughter. They do not get on and an event happens which means they have to travel across the country to effectively save their daughter you don't know what's going on basically there's an event has happened and you're discovering little bits of information as the cast goes on through this um it starts out i gotta say the film starts incredible like there's a, a scene that basically is a dinner scene between uh forest whitaker and theo and uh forest whitaker's character's wife and i mean you really feel the hatred like you, you do not want to be in that room and uh, I, I was thinking, wow, Netflix have knocked it out of the park by the looks of it here. This this film starts as a, for me, it starts as a five out of five. But um, as the film starts unraveling, and it pretty much starts unraveling, really, um, it kind of loses its momentum. It kind of doesn't take you anywhere, even though it takes you across the country. It's 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 quite slow. There's not really much going on. I mean, I'm, I'm jumping right into this. But John, what was your take from the beginning? I agree. I like the beginning. That scene really had the it really gripped me. The dinner scene you were talking about it totally hooked me in. I was like, you really, you felt the tension at the dinner table. Maybe as a younger man, you were, you felt for him. You're like, shit. That's every. Uh, that's like your worst nightmare of a father-in-law right there. Um, and yeah, so I was I was in it to win it at, in the beginning, but that did not last very long. <laughs> So not to not to spoil the film, but basically as they're they're travelling across the country, um, you learn a lot more about Forrest Whitaker's character. You understand that he's he's ex-army, and uh, once he retired from the army, he went into the private sector where he acquired a, a massive uh, a, a big form of wealth, which he uses to try and help in a land where petrol is scarce, electricity is running out, and basically people are, are running wild. Um, it's it's very much, a, a I suppose, a travel movie from that perspective. It's kind of the, how would society behave if there was no one to enforce the rules? It I suppose it's trying to hold up a mirror to society from that perspective and be a bit artsy, but it was just a bit boring. <laughs> it, it came across as very bleak, uh, almost just boringly bleak in a weird way you just everyone they encountered seemed to just be do you know it felt like a zombie movie without zombies because everyone was out to get everyone and it was a i think it was like nigel farage's wet dream of an apocalypse you know he's like <laughs> oh there i told you everyone's everyone's out to get everyone you know no one's no compassion exists on this earth uh so it got a little bit old very quickly um for me and it's kind of repetitive right because like you said it's a road movie for most of it and uh, the interactions and stuff kind of got old uh, yeah i i completely agree with you it's it's uh, that analogy you've just there it's the walking dead without any zombies which you know i'm telling you you don't want to watch that show it might sound great on paper but it doesn't actually fold out um and also netflix is 
I'm very critical of their TV shows for having what they call Netflix uh, Netflix bloat, which is basically they've got a story they want to tell, and uh, they could tell it in eight hours, but they decide to tell it in thirteen and they drag it out. And there was a couple of Netflix bloat scenes in this film. So, for example, there's one scene where um, they get robbed. Um, they they pull to one side of the road and uh, they've got uh, they they see someone in distress and you can see from a clear mile away that these people aren't in distress they're just there to try and rob people and and they get robbed and they chase these people and basically get their stuff back and they've just done that to fill twenty minutes like there's there was no real advancement to the story there was no need to do that there was no uh, no gravitas as a result of this and and I was even saying at the time me and my wife were watching it and we we're just like. Why? Why are they doing this? Like, there's, there's no benefit here. Like, I don't, I don't feel the world's any better or worse as a result of this. Um, the film does ultimately end up with, uh, you know, obviously not to go into spoiler uh, details here, but basically it ends with a, a, um, a, a third act which is basically like a safe house movie, um, where it introduces a new character and it's almost like they tried to cram another story in there, but actually they kind of gave up. 10 minutes into this new story and uh, abruptly end the film. Um, yeah, that's the weird... I was actually into this new story. I was like, okay, maybe... it's. I Suddenly I was like, oh, maybe there's a lot more going on here. There's going to be a huge twist and it might somehow save the movie. But uh, yeah, it was a strange third act that seemed to end very abruptly and um, disappointingly so. It seems to set itself up for the sequel that literally no one wanted or wants. Yeah, um, don't get me wrong. I love the idea of mystery in a film. Um, sometimes uh, I don't want everything to be explained to me. I definitely want things to be shown to me, but I don't necessarily need a, a, a scene where most disaster slash apocalyptic films will have it where someone will sit down and literally explain what has happened to get to this point. You do not know what has caused this disaster. You do not know if it is natural. You do not know if it's alien. You do not know anything about this. And they do not bother to try and tell you. And I find that quite refreshing and interesting. But if your film is called How It Ends, you've (laughs) got to have a damn good ending, haven't you? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of bugbears. My wife particularly was annoyed that the... um, main lady who they've gone to find was wearing fake eyelashes uh during the apocalypse she thought that might not have been (laughs) a priority (laughs) high priority but um there's i mean there's a lot going on to annoy you in this movie there were portions of it like you said that gave me fresh hope but it's interesting because forest would take care i don't see him in many bad movies um and this one was kind of disappointing, and even his performance wasn't quite uh, as as I'd hope. But I mean, it's also it's Netflix. Why are they making these two-hour-long movies that could be ninety minutes? Um, you feel like we could cut out at least twenty-five minutes of this easy. Give me the scissors. I'll chop out some parts <laughs> that you do not need, and I'll make it a you know ten percent better film. 
Well, well, I'm sure if Netflix are listening, they might they might have an editing job for you there. <laughs> but um, let's talk about Forrest Whitaker in this because I I I actually think he he puts in a stellar job in this. I think he's he's working with the tools that are in front of him, and he, I think he he makes a a good uh, combination of that. Yes, I do agree that there are some really poor elements of the story, but I think he actually still comes across really well. Um, he he picks interesting projects, right? He does films like The Last King of Scotland or. Or, um, or or that Star Wars film, or he'll be in like really awesome murder mysteries and things like that. And then he'll do some some curveballs like your Repo Men and stuff like that. And I feel this is kind of like one of his curveball roles where he's just flexing those muscles a little bit. He's I find him absolutely captivating when he's on screen. Um, there is one scene though, and I don't mean to poke fun, but he's basically he's uh, he's speaking to a mechanic and he's trying to convince her to join him on their journey across the country. Reason why is because he needs a mechanic. If something bad happens to the car, the 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 army man in him says always be prepared. Make sure you've got someone there to look after you. And she is uh, very skeptical about getting in the car. And it's a really good dramatic scene. Like he gives some really good dialogue, but he then says, "Look me in the eye and tell me I'm lying." And with his lazy eye, it, I, I couldn't help but laugh where his eyes twitching while he's saying that. It was poor dialogue choice. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And I mean, that female character who, you know, later on sort of disappears, you just thought, what was the point in, what was the point? Um, it just seemed like adding numbers. Mm. So, I mean, Flinty, I've got an interesting question for you. So Rotten Tomatoes audience score for this film bear in mind there's only 400 in because it's a brand new film what are we saying percentage wise they tend to have a guess they tend to be quite neutral at this point but i have a feeling because of how abrupt the ending was i can imagine it's in the low 20s not bad it's 17 percent oh my god really yes i thought i was being harsh critics only 10 in but that's at 20 percent so uh i mean maybe streaming gems is a streaming dud this week i'm afraid yeah but one hope i did get it suggested another film uh for me after this i watched a trailer for called tau uh t-a-u an ar ai horror and i think that might make a really good streaming gem i've heard good things about it yeah, I, I agree with you. I've seen that trailer as well, and um, it feels like that's the right balance for Netflix, right? They 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 need to stop trying to make these massive AAA films because they might have the money for it, but it feels like they don't have necessarily all the ingredients to deliver on that. But those kind of ninety-minute sci-fi films, which got okay cast but just really sort of concise feels like that's a good happy place for them you think of films like i really enjoyed the death wish remake they done uh, i really en- not death wish sorry death book um i really enjoyed gerald's game i think there is a there is a world for where netflix needs to sort of flex their muscle a bit more and um, there was another film that we were actually meant to review we were we were given permission to review um hold the dark which is a, a new drama that's come out a lot of people speak really highly of this film and literally the 
night that we went to review it, Netflix pulled it from their slate. Um, you won't be able to find it on your Netflix account at the moment. And the reason why they've done that is because it's, they're currently doing the rounds of the film festivals. And it all started with Cannes um, a few weeks back, which banned all streaming services from entering films um, because they, there's a big fear that streaming service movies will, will kill the modern day cinema. And uh, as a result of this, Netflix kind of comes to an agreement and say, well, how about this? How about we submit this film, Hold the Dark, and pardon the pun, we will hold the release uh, on our streaming service. We will even do a limited cinema release um, in the near future. And then before the end of the year, we will then re-release it onto our, our streaming services. And that's what they're doing. And you think... Why the hell are you doing this? Um, you know, people, you, you've released it. People are really hyped. But the truth is, getting that little sticker, that accreditation, we all know Netflix are going after the awards and accolades. Why do you need those awards and accolades? Well, Netflix is a company and a company needs money. And the best way to get money is from your customers, but you need to reach those customers. And how do you reach customers? Well, you provide them a good service. You provide them a good service by making good content and promising them more content to come. Now, that is very, very expensive. So you need backers. You need people to fund you. And people are only going to fund you if they can see promise. And how do you show promise? It's through prestige. So getting those awards, getting those stickers on your films, getting those film festivals to say this is a quality film will make backers really interested in your work. So unfortunately, it's the almighty dollar there, which is um, kind of stopping people from seeing good content. Yeah. And going back to, I mean, Netflix doing these big thriller action apocalyptic movies i mean no one's watching netflix on the big i'm i'm i i'm sure maybe some are but very few of us are watching netflix movies on a on a huge screen with a massive sound system so it seems like a strange hybrid uh i mean yeah the going back to the thoughtful interest in socially commentating movies that netflix d does so well but who are we to advise, Flinty, really? Well, they keep sending us stuff, so so we just say, you know what? And to be fair, even though we keep saying half their stuff's a piece of shit, they still keep giving us screeners and allowing us to, to do this. So thank you so much, Netflix, for letting us be as imbalanced as possible on this. Look, let's give it a score. Let's finish this off. If you were telling me to grade this film within the first 40 minutes, it would have been five out of five. Now seeing the whole film, I'm probably going to go with a two. What's your take, John? I I yeah I think too. I mean I love ap apocalypse movies, so I'm already sold when I see things blowing up and people panicking. But this it was not my idea of a good apocalypse movie at all. I think two's fair. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to be crying out for this sequel. Um, and and actually, to your point, John, I don't think it is particularly good writing for the female characters. Actually, they don't really portray them particularly well in this film at all. In fact, the only saving grace is actually I thought the the lead Will, uh, played by Theo, I thought he generally actually because he's he's always like a side character in a lot of films and or whenever you see him in stuff. And I think he actually can carry a film. I think he he can be a leading actor, which is great for for his personal CV. But Forrest Whitaker MVP as always for me. But yeah unfortunately it's a bit of a dud on this one and we're usually quite generous with streaming gems two out of five if towering inferno and die hard had a baby it would probably look something like skyscraper a new film out which featuring dwayne johnson so flinty's got a review of this film this week hope you enjoy the pearl is the tallest most advanced building in the world you've built a vertical city but you've brought with it every single safety and security challenge that I could think of. We thought this floor was empty. So did I. 
Not only have you brought them all indoors, but you've trapped them 240 floors in the air. No one really knows what would happen if things go wrong. But I'm just a glorified security guard, so what the hell do I know anyway? Skyscraper is an action film, which is a love letter to classic films like Die Hard, Tower Inferno. There's a little bit of some other stuff in there as well, but that's the real sort of inspiration for this film. It's got Dwayne The Rock Johnson playing Will Sawyer, who's a former FBI agent and US war veteran who now assesses security for skyscrapers. Um, During his time as an FBI agent, there's an accident which involves him losing a limb, which leads him to have some real confidence issues at the start of this film. Anyway, his first assignment is in China where he's going to the world's tallest building to basically assess how safe this building is. During his visit, the building catches fire, happens to be his family is visiting as well. He gets framed for this and he is now a wanted man on the run in this giant building. He now must find those who are responsible, clear his name and somehow rescue his family as well as everyone else involved while they're trapped inside this inferno whilst these terrorists are taking over the building. It is literally like they've taken Die Hard and Tower Inferno and smashed them together. Um, Cast-wise, obviously, Dwayne, the most hard-working man in, in history, um, has, has managed to pull it again another action flick together. It's got Neve Campbell, as well as Pablo Chenar in it, Roland Miller, quite a few other names spluttered around there, people like Paul McGillian. Um, you know, this is, kind of, this is a fun movie, okay? It is, it is big, dumb, fun explosions, one-liners to boot, and everything else in between. It's getting pans quite a bit um, across the internet at the moment for example uh, reviews are calling the cgi terrible some people saying that it's a bit dull i you know i think it is what you expect to be from the trailers right it's just a fun ride i find this is quite enjoyable the rock is on fine form it's probably not his best film this year but it's definitely not a bad film um, i really enjoyed the the chemistry between the rock and uh, basically everyone on screen because there's kind of always uh, some really interesting sort of writing elements going on here the terrorist side of things i mean yeah it's pretty much signposted who the bad people are even when they do the switch and there's someone who starts out good but ends up being bad during the film he even goes surprise in a really cheesy way but you know what you know what what did people expect you know this isn't meant to to be uh, goodwill hunting this is a big loud action flick and it does what it says on the tin i love the the jumping effects from this i love the the the, just the funness of it. I mean, you know, props to The Rock. I think he really does play a paraplegic really well. Um, he has an element of lack of confidence at the start of this film. And for someone who is the size of The Rock and actually, um, you know, has the charisma that he has to play someone who's a bit unsure of himself and a bit lacking of that confidence, that's obviously a big feat within itself there. Um, this, you know, this we're not going to be talking about this film 10 years' time. I don't know if this is going to start a franchise but I think it's okay. Personally, I really enjoy this. I am, as you know, many listeners know, a massive fan of Die Hard. This doesn't hold a candle to Die Hard from that perspective, but then again, I'm quite rosy-eyed from that perspective. The Rock, again, back to 
back to action form. We absolutely love him. And uh, yeah, you know, I hope he keeps producing more films like this, to be honest. Um, box office-wise, it's doing okay. Rotten Tomatoes, it's kind of sitting at the 40% mark at the moment. Which is, you know, it's, it's good. It's good. It's a recommendation. So from my perspective, I'm going three out of five. It is a recommendation. You've, you've come in with your just love of big bangs and big enjoyments, then this is definitely a film for you. It's the action film of the summer, in my opinion. If we're going to get out of here, you're going to have to tell me the truth. There's a reason they chose this building. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you've enjoyed this as much as we've enjoyed making it, then please click on the like, subscribe, the follow, the whatever button it means that you get more content from Talk Filmy to me. I want to thank my boy John. How can people find you? You can find me at Descamento on Twitter. And you can find us on Twitter at Talk Filmy to Me. Uh, next week, we're going to be back with a review of Hotel Artemis, the film about uh, murder, murderers and serial killers having a, a place of prestige and homage to, to find uh, sanctuary, as well as a review of a documentary about the most fraudulent footballer who ever lived. We go to a Q&A of the director, and hopefully we'll be able to get some really interesting tidbits for the podcast as well. Thank you so much for keep downloading the podcast. We're currently 7th in the US charts, which is amazing. And uh, yeah, stay filmy till next time. We're down in the basement. We'll lock the cellar door and baby. Talk filmy to me.